it to the Easy Yoga Podcast with myself, Gemma Nice, Easy Yoga founder, author, yoga coach, and relationship coach. It is my pleasure to have you here and for you to feel energized, calm, happy, and for you to have the perfect relationship with yourself, your partner, and your family without seeing a family therapist, changing your personality, or leaving your job. You will learn techniques and things to help you guide you through a better life through health, meditation, yoga, journaling, nutrition, and all things yoga for you to have the life you deserve and crave and for you to love yourself on a soul level. Thank you so, so much for being here today and I am so grateful and so full of love to have you here. Enjoy this next episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode from Easy Yoga, all things yoga, wellbeing and relationships. And today I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Bruce McKay and he is the CEO and co-founder of Yoga Alliance Professionals, the UK's leading professional body of yoga teachers and training providers. And he's got over 30 years experience working in the yoga world. Bruce has visited ashrams in India, worked with shaman in the mountains of Peru and carried out a 41 day fasts in Thailand. A yoga teacher and entrepreneur, Bruce owned the highly popular Edinburgh studio Yoga Union Yoga and established the yoga shop to source and manufacture quality good yoga products worldwide. And it was in 2017 when Bruce sold both companies to focus his attention fully on Yoga Alliance Professionals, a membership organization that provides its members with the tools and resources and expertise to truly thrive in their career. So welcome, Bruce. Thank you for being here. Hello, Gemma. I'm so happy to be here. Me and the four dogs. (laughs) Hopefully they won't won't kick off me too much noise, but I'm so happy to be here. They're really cute. They're really lovely behind you. So yes, I want to know more about your Peru and well, yeah, the shaman and the mountains and things. What? How did you get into that in the first place? As in, how did you get into yoga and that that area? Of- wow, okay, so that, that's a long, long story. Funny, I was telling um, a story to somebody recently about this about two tiny little things that seem insignificant. That looking back, when you join the dots probably were quite significant. And I'm going back to when I was five or six. So I've got a vivid memory of having a phobia or fear of worms, garden worms. Oh, wow, really? And, and I remember, and where I grew up, we were sort of working class family, but we had a back garden and stuff. I remember getting the thought somehow to just dig a worm up, a big worm, put it in my hand and walk around the block for an hour until right. I no longer <laughs> had the fear of this worm. And I did that and then, Probably a year after that, we got taught how to tie um, shoes, shoelaces at school. Oh, yeah, yeah. And in those days, like your mom and dad used to tie your shoes, you go to school. Anyway, they showed us this way, make a bow, wrap it around, cut it up, whatever. And I couldn't do it for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. And I remember walking home thinking, there must be a different way to do this. What if I just made two bows and kind of crossed them and pulled? Surely that would work. Yeah. And stopping halfway home, realizing that if this didn't work, I couldn't tie my shoelaces for getting home. And, and doing it and, and getting it to work and thinking, <laughs> yes, yes, this feels amazing. So somewhere there was stuff in me from early on. I don't yeah. know where it came from. My first insight to yoga was about 10 year old. I remember my mum uh, coming home and obviously I'd started doing yoga and practicing yoga in the house, just in the living room, doing these moves and me just sort of copying her a bit. Yeah. Uh, and really enjoying it. No idea what it was, didn't know it was yoga, just thought this is great. 
And then about a week later, and this just shows you the mentality of, of both children and their kids. It must have been 10, 11, so it must have been around that age of primary seven, puberty, that sort of thing. Yeah. I've got a reason yeah. for saying that, as you'll see in a minute. <laughs> so about a week later, two weeks later, my uh, mom and dad were at a teacher-parent night. And I remember this teacher, I remember her name, I'm going to name and shame her, Kathleen <laughs> Phillips, our primary seven uh, school teacher. She was quite intimidating, big woman. We were always convinced she had a wig on straight back <laughs> here. Um, and she had the, the, the meeting, and then the next school day, suddenly, randomly, she starts talking about this thing that Bruce does with his mum in front of the fire on the rug. Oh. And that age, you can imagine what people are all, you know, oh my I genuinely didn't know what it was. And I was quite shy and I was getting more and more embarrassed. But I actually didn't know what it was. Uh, and uh, she kept going on for about five minutes about this thing. And eventually said it was yoga. And like, that was the end of the, the yoga career after that. <laughs> like, you know, I was getting such a slagging from everyone. I was just like, okay, that's, that's enough now. Um, and then it was about 10 years later, something like that. I was working in corporate world. And a friend of mine had went to a class and he was the only male in the class. And he kind of had a bit of a rugby build, quite a, a big guy, a little bit overweight. And he said, oh, you know, like, I feel a bit intimidated. I'm the only guy. Do you want to come along? I said, yeah, sure, I'll come along. And long story short, he ended up stopping after a couple of weeks. I ended up carrying oh, no. And interestingly enough, I always remember the story. It's like what never to do as a yoga teacher this woman wasn't a younger teacher and she's still teaching to this day and quite a senior teacher. What she kept doing in the class was, it was a class of beginners. So everyone was not very good in the class. And yeah. I was probably one of the worst because when I was younger, I'd done bodybuilding and uh, okay, yeah. stiff and locked up and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and, and she kept stopping the class and my friend's name was Kevin and she said, right, stop. Everyone come around Kevin. Like, Kevin, do that posture again. And she said, right, see what Kevin's doing? That's what you don't do. Oh, no. Kevin was like, oh my I'm not very good at this. I'm going to, I said, listen, Kevin, I'm worse than you. Everyone is shocking yeah. in the class. And he's like, nah, I don't, nah I'm just not enjoying this. But this woman did like something under me at this teacher because she got me into um, like meditation stuff. She introduced oh, me to wow. all the technique Han, if you know the Vietnamese monk, um, Plum Village. And she introduced me to this concept of kind of holy people and saints. Um, yeah. Somebody called Mother Mira, who was Indian, but based in Germany. And again, like about 10 years later, I randomly ended up working in Germany and meeting this Mother Mira, which is a wow. whole other story. <laughs> um, and it's funny how these dots join. So, yeah. um, so having kind of got into the yoga and being in corporate world, I applied for... Uh, three jobs at the same time within this corporate company I was in. Yeah. One was working internationally, uh, kind of IT based. One was sales and one was just kind of pure IT working in uh, locally. And I got offered all three jobs. Wow. wow. I accepted the one that was going to take me traveling abroad, partly because one of the places they were uh, uh, doing it was in India. And so part of me thought, hmm. I could yeah. actually be working and living in India. As it turned out, they posted me in Germany, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> oh, but no. Because I accepted that job, that particular job uh, was in a different building. And a month after I started, a, a new yoga center opened up like across the road. And I mean like nice. 10 yards across the road. 
you came out the front door of the office, crossed the road, and you were at this new yoga centre. And it was tiny. And in those days, there was hardly any yoga centres. I think there was one in Edinburgh. It was a Yenga centre. And this one opened up was the Shtanga. Um, and at the time, that was just the right thing for me. I was high energy, um, quite stiff. So it got me moving. It got some heat in the body. And I remember going in, and it was the first centre these guys had opened. Um, and I remember going in saying, how much for a yearly membership? And they didn't have a clue. And they went something like £75. And, and so I remember being there three times a day. Yeah. Early morning class, lunch class, after work, seven days a week. And so having done that solid for a couple of years, very quickly, wow. quite fast. Um, and, and then I started, I was traveling backwards and forwards, but that, that was the start that really gave me that injection, that push. Yeah. Just yeah. immersed myself. I kind of went all in. Um, and even though I wasn't very good at it, um, quite quickly, uh, I improved. Um, yeah. And yeah. You the difference. But once you notice the difference, it's easy. Then yeah. It's, yeah. Not, you're motivated, self-motivated. Yeah, Self-motivation kicked in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, all sorts of things came out of that because the Ujjayi breathing, I started adopting almost 24 seven. Like again, this, oh. I, you were speaking off camera, but I was saying I've got this addictive personality. Like <laughs> I started practicing every second of the day, almost like mindfully this Ujjayi breathing. I toned it down a bit, but I was doing it. And then I was having all sorts of weird and wonderful mystical experiences because I was 24 seven Ujjayi breathing, which was, it would take a whole 10 episodes of this to go into that. But, <laughs> but, but that was the kind of start. And also interestingly, that was the start of the connection for Yoga Alliance because one of the main teachers was Brian Cooper, who is the, the other founder of Yoga Alliance Professionals. So that's how we first met. He was oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, I love Ujjayi breathing. That is my go-to as well. I don't teach yeah. it enough, actually, because it takes a while to properly teach it. Yeah. properly and yeah whenever I, I whenever I do teach a vinyasa which is quite often I will say if you know your ujjayi breathing do it but I feel that in class you don't have time to teach it maybe I need yeah. to change my my stuff around <laughs> it's funny because if, if you came to me and said I've only got time for one thing I'd probably give people breathing over anything else or yeah. any moving or anything yeah, yeah. Uh, did gives... you find that that helped you with your corporate stress as well yeah, well, it was, it was very interesting because what happened was um, I was on the um, I was on a um, fast track. They had me by the time I left, I was managing like hundred people. They wanted wow. me to go on. Weirdly enough, they wanted me to go and do the Indian project. Having spent three years in Germany, and they wanted me to go to India, which is where I wanted to go. But stepping back from that, what happened was um, also. As, as, as a side story at the same time, I had this property and it was a great time to sell property and not a good time to buy. So I'd sold this property I had and made good money on it. And uh, one of my mates had just went through a divorce and he just bought a two bedroom flat and said, why don't you move in for a couple of months? Also keep me company. He was having a hard time after his divorce. It was a pretty messy divorce. Mm. And keep me company. I was traveling backwards and forwards to Germany at the time. So, um, you know, pretty much it was a good deal for him because he had the flat to himself mostly, you know. Um, and when I moved in to his, um, he somehow had got the name of this uh, psychic or medium from someone. I think he was going through a tough time. He thought he might get some answers from the psychic or medium. So yeah. again, he's like, well, can you come along? I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So at the time, I do believe in that stuff, but I'm also quite, 
like, okay, I will give you nothing body language wise. I will yeah, yeah. nothing. You're not going to do anything. So yeah. anyway, he was in He was in for about an hour. And then he came out and he said, okay, you can go in. She's going to see. I thought, okay, fine. So so I remember walking in and uh, you know, doing this like empty the mind, think of a blue sky, <laughs> give nothing away. And then I walked in and before he even sat down, there's this older woman called Mrs. Hamilton who's now dead. And she um she took my hands and she went, Oh son, you've got healing hands. Because I'm like, yeah. Oh wow. Well, what are you trying to sell me? I was like, yeah, okay. She said, No, you really have son. You've and and basically she didn't really particularly give me a reading. She's like, Okay, you've got the gift with this stuff. Yeah, so I want to kind of the energy you're giving yeah. off. Let me take let me take you. There was the College of Parapsychology, which I think still exists in Edinburgh. It certainly was there at that time. Yeah. And she's like, I want to take you along. And I was like, oh, okay. So she didn't actually give me a reading. She, but she said, let me take you along to this place. So um, I remember going along, and there was maybe 50 people. It was like a little room, rows of seats at a tiny little platform. The medium would come in. And I remember thinking. I want the medium to come to me, but almost having butterflies go, no, but I don't want you to come to me. <laughs> and that first thing, nothing happened. And they actually didn't come to me. I remember feeling disappointed. Anyway, she got me enrolled in all these sort of courses with stuff like psychic development and energy work and all that. Um, and then uh, there was a whole bunch of stories came out of that, by the way. I remember going in <laughs> once um, and she's dead now. There's a woman, a, a medium called Clem Hart, uh, Clem Harvey, I always think the drummer from Blondie called Clem, yeah. but Clem, <laughs> Clem Harvey, it was her name. Um, I remember being there and it was mostly, it was like 99% like retired women. And like uh, me at the back of the room, I think I was the only guy in that one. And she walked in, I was right at the back and there was a gap in the middle where people could walk to get to your seats. She walked in, she had her head down, and she just lifted her head, and she looked right at me, and I was like, oof, I thought she's coming to me. I like, first one in, she's like, I'm with that guy there at the back, and I was like, oh. <laughs> um, and I remember her um, going through various stuff, so proof of, proof of life after and all that, and then she was doing all this stuff. Um, and then, that's fine, she went on to other people. She was talking about traveling she said i see you traveling over water a lot but it's not holiday and at the time of course i was working in germany and i was yeah. traveling every week i was going backwards and forwards um, and again i didn't want to give stuff so i'm like well yeah i could probably take that you know i wasn't giving her anything and so at the end she grabbed me on the way out and she said can i have a word with you for a second son i was like yeah okay so she said and she talked about something about be careful you're going to see a red light and whenever you see this red light, a flashing light, whatever, wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, however safe you might feel, get out. Wow. Don't think about it, get out. And I was like, well, so at the time, when we worked in Germany, they gave us company cars. So we had um, company, whatever, BMWs and Mercs and stuff like that, quite fast cars. And of course the Autobahn, no speed limit. And yeah. I quite, those days I quite like driving fast and stuff. Um, so when, when she grabbed me on the way out to clarify something else, I said, can I just ask, are you talking about like a police car or an ambulance? Or, and she said, no, no, nothing like that. I, I don't mean like, it's not a siren. It's, it's in the psychic world. You're yeah. going to see something and whenever you see it, get out. Okay. Okay. So then weeks later, probably three, four weeks later, we were on this. Um, I was seeing a girl at the time and we were, um, we were both 
at this training session at the college. Yeah. And they were, doing, they were giving us things like working with colour, working with um, sound, working with tarot cards, all that sort of stuff was in there. Yeah. Um, and the particular thing was ribbons, coloured ribbons. And so we did that and we went back to hers. Now, she had this tiny little one-bedroom flat. It's almost like you walk in the front door and you're in the living room. Yeah, and yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you have a spiral staircase and you go up and you have a tiny bedroom and a tiny bathroom. It was that sort of thing. So we're in and she was like, can I practice some of the, the, the ribbon stuff with you? So I remember, I was like, okay, so pick a couple of ribbons. I remember picking colours I didn't normally pick. In those days, I'd always pick like purple and green or something. Yeah. Uh, and I picked for some reason red and blue. And she was trying to do this reading. She said, are you cold? Now, these tiny little flats had central heating. They were like saunas, you know? And I was like, yeah. I said, no, not at all. In fact, I am roasting. She said, God, I feel really cold. And I remember she, she said, I'm going to go upstairs and uh, meditate. And she went upstairs. And I was just sitting downstairs. And her phone went and answered it. And it was one of her friends. And I knew her friend from work. And so I was just chatting away, having a bit of a laugh. And I said, oh, she's upstairs, minute. I'll get her to give you a call when she finishes. And I could hear this, uh, my girlfriend at the time, um, walking about upstairs. Right. I could hear, like footsteps and that. And so she came down about 10 minutes later. And she said, oh, I couldn't meditate. You were making all this racket on the floor. I, I said, oh, sorry, it was one of your friends here. Give her a call back. And I said, anyway, you were making a racket walking about the room. And she's like, I wasn't walking about the room. I was on the bed. I was lying on the wow. bed. I was like, oh nah, there was loads of footsteps. You were walking around. And she said, no, I really wasn't. I'm like, okay, whatever. So she goes to phone her friend. So I said, I'm going to go upstairs and meditate. So I go upstairs, <laughs> cover my eyes, pitch black room, blinds are shut. I start the UGI breathing. And I can remember like your third eye, where it, I could see stuff yeah. the same with my eyes open as my eyes were closed. And I was up a mountain. I walk in this cave. The cave's covered in purple amethyst. Even now I can see it. Yeah, there's a big stone sort of what would you call it altar or something I don't know but yeah. long enough that somebody could lie in it so I remember lying in it and the whole place filling up with mist and then I remember knowing there was a, a, a door at the back of this cave so walking through it and then realizing I was in another dimension and then all these faces and things coming towards me none of which I recognized I remember seeing a little girl down in the right uh, about seven year old with a white dress on. I met in a long, long story short, I remember years later, my mum saying she'd had a miscarriage with a girl. Um, wow. but initially denying anything because I was thinking, I saw my this feels like my sister or something. You yeah. know? Anyway, moving forward and forward. Um, and I'm not, I believe in there is some definite essence. I, I don't like using the word God, but some whatever you yeah, want to yeah, yeah. something. I do believe yeah. in that. <clears throat> but in this particular thing, I eventually, and it's like a long white corridor, kind of without a roof. And I realized that I can project myself forward in my mind. So I'm not walking, just like floating kind of thing. Yeah. <clears throat> and I see what you'd have to call a Western Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus existed as a real character. If he did, almost certainly he'd be dark skin and probably brown eyes and dark hair. He yeah. certainly wouldn't be blonde hair, blue eyed. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I saw. And I remember just being in tears and this, and it was all like in your mind and this, this entity, this, this Jesus thing going, you didn't believe any of this, did you? And almost like putting his hand on my head and just like, oh my goodness. Anyway, I get past that and I'm sort of moving forward and deeper and deeper. And I see this orange flashing light 
It's tiny. It's like miles in the distance. I'm like, what is that thing? And it's like, oh, it's like an orange, like flashing. Yeah. Beacon. Something. Yeah. And then it tu- and I'm still thinking nothing. And then it turns to red. Wow. And when it turns to red, I think, oh crap! And it goes yeah. woof right up into my face. I'm like, oh! <coughs> and I jump up. That's incredible. And I come downstairs, <coughs> and the girl I'm with says, "My God, are you okay? You white?" <coughs> and I said, "No, I'm not." And she said, "Who were you talking to?" I said, "I wasn't talking to anyone." I wasn't physically opening my mouth. She said, "Yeah, yeah." Voices. Who were you talking to? I said, "I really wasn't." Excuse me a second. That's incredible! Wow, that's so, so powerful. Then I start seeing all these things. I can't switch it off. And then I take the next day off work, and I'm a workaholic. I never took days off work ever, ever for any reason. I take the next day off work. There's a whole other part of it which it'll go on too long, but. Yes, yeah. back at the flat where I'm staying with my mate. He's been out, he's up. A whole bunch of stuff happens with him. <coughs> His granny comes, oh, a whole bunch of stuff starts happening. Anyway, I take the next day off work. And this woman, <sighs> this woman Clem Harvey, the, the medium, had said, something's going to happen in the next few weeks at work that's really good for you. Okay. And I thought, promotion, big promotion. Anyway, I'm off work the next day. I go back and I get this email from the boss saying, can I have a meeting with you? I think, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I walk in, um, I'm like, yeah, and he said, where's your head at? You are all over the place. No. Basically, get your act together or get out. And I was wow. like, and I really think he's about to promote me. I'm like, what? <laughs> so anyway, long story short, the reason it was good was I kind of put all that stuff aside and I grounded <coughs> and I focused and I got about three promotions. Yeah. And then back and I started the yoga shop and a whole bunch of stuff started happening but that was the start of some really crazy stuff going on with that that's amazing that is really incredible that is hey hey so I just wanted to share with you that I am totally in love with confused girl in the city yoga brand They have all kinds of apparel which include crystal inspired leggings, capris, shorts, joggers as well as tanks, tees, sports bras, hoodies and swimwear and accessories ranging from towels, beanies, face masks and bags and I have a few of these leggings and tanks and I absolutely love them. They are so soft and really really comfortable. Now Giovanna who started the Confused Girl brand, she started it as a blog and when she went on her healing and spiritual journey she met a healer who had a profound effect on her. He had a collection of crystals and told her to pick two to take home. One day she was meditating and she had a vision of creating a line of women's activewear that was inspired by these crystals. Now Giovanna takes high resolution photos of crystals that inspire her and work with an art team to print them onto fabric. Each pair of leggings represents a different stone. These healing crystals balance yin yang energy and cultivate courage, creativity and healing. And their leggings are four way stretch, breathable and made in LA and they pride themselves in using the best quality fabric on the market. These leggings are great for working out or going out or just chilling as well. 
So why the name Confused Girl? Well, Giovanna's answer is simple. It is really easy to accept yourself when you are feeling good and your life is the way you want it, but it isn't so easy to accept yourself when things are tough and you are confused. And we shame ourselves in times when we need to be embracing ourselves. Confused Girl is about accepting yourself just as you are at this moment. This acceptance will leave you, lead you to your true nature. Beauty begins the moment you decide to be yourself. So you can see why I love this brand so much. So head over to the website today, which is confusedgirlinthecity.com and use code yogigemma for a 20% discount at the checkout. That's yogigemma for 20% discount. Head on over now and check them out. Tell me about your trip to Peru and in the mountains and what you did there or how you, was that where you started fasting? Or was that completely different? It wasn't, but I'll, I'll come on because the Peru thing came before the fasting. Okay. And for anyone watching this, I'm going to say now, we've shot this over two sessions, so if you wonder why I've suddenly changed tops or that, it's quite <laughs> different. That's what's happened here. So um, now, let me think, go back to the Peru thing. So it, what's really interesting is whenever I've listened to my gut intuition, something interesting always happens and it always morphs into something bigger. And I can see, looking back, that one of the dangers as you get older is you start living in the world and living by other people's rules and, and you almost lose touch with that intuition, that childlike intuition. And I've always made it a thing to try and never grow up and listen to that childlike intuition. And this was one of those occasions. I was doing some yoga sessions at a place called Lendrick Lodge, which is in Scotland, beautiful place. I've not looked recently, but I think they're still running it, a retreat center. We did all sorts of things. And I can't remember if I was teaching there or been there. Anyway, I know the guy quite well, a guy called Stephen Mulhern, runs it with his, his partner, Victoria. And they were going on a trip to Peru up the mountains in Peru, and they were just a very small group. And he was quite heavily into shamanism, and he'd went himself, kind of followed his gut instinct and come across the shaman up somewhere in the mountains. And wanted to take a group over. Now, I wasn't supposed to be on it, and, and I sort of hummed and hawed, but the, at the time, I was working in corporate world, and I was running the yoga shop. There was that crossover period where I was kind of doing loads of things, and very last minute, somebody cancelled, somebody pulled out, and he, he phoned me, Stephen, and said, look, you sort of expressed interest in this. Somebody's pulled out. Do you want to come? We're going in about four days' time, and I was kind nice. of like, oh, <laughs> anyway I thought yeah why not let's do it um so we went and we headed off uh to Lima and uh, the capital of Peru and then from there we headed up to Cusco which is sort of starting to go up the mountains I think if I remember Cusco is about 13 and a half thousand feet up now wow. Cusco is quite interesting in itself um because it's called the the uh, village of masters now not masters in the terms of uh, enlightened, but masters for anyone who's mastered their trade. So okay. the way they used to live in Cusco was, you might be a master baker and I'm a master thatcher or roofer. So what would happen was I would put a roof on your house in exchange for you giving me bread for the next year. Uh -huh. um, and, and that's the way these guys kind of work. And it was self-policing. Uh, they had obviously uh, priests and spiritual advisors and guides in there. And they had uh, shaman and shaman, which were the, the healers. Um, and they had this little community uh, and it, in essence it really worked um, it was kind of self-regulating 
and it was all a kind of exchange system and everyone ended up looking after each other and it's quite incredible when you look at it that's amazing like it's gone back years and years and years like yeah. we have it's how we used to live yeah no it's obviously become a bit more um commercialized now but not overly and it's commercialized because it's a stopping off point if you're going to go to Machu Picchu which is the ancient uh, city and the uh, it still stands or the relics of it still stand there now to get to Machu Picchu you're going up over something called Dead Women's Pass, which is at 17,500 feet. Wow. So for most people, you have to acclimatise. So Cusco's where you acclimatise. So generally, you'll go there and stay there for about a week or something like that, uh, just to let your system, um, so you don't get altitude sickness. Um, so we're there, and it's absolutely freezing when you're up that high. It really is. Wow, yeah. In this, this sort of women's house, but it was like a sort of youth hostel, but it was just this woman had it, and... There's like no hot water, so you get up in the morning, it was this freezing <laughs> cold shower. Um, and it was actually a great way to toughen you up. You could see that if you uh, lived up there for any length of time, you become super toughened up to yeah. the elements. Um, the other thing they had was, it was introduction to uh, cacao leaves, which is what cocaine's made from, actually. Yeah. Um, now, he was a whole interesting story they were telling us. So the locals, especially the guides that go up and down over the mountains, they chew cacao leaves with something else, I can't remember what the second thing was. Um, and what that does is it stops the altitude sickness. Wow. And these That's guys, cool. I mean, the guides, and most of them are really small, dark, weathered skin, and they would have like 10 rucksacks on, and they would be like wow. running up down these so mountains. Incredible thing. About 80 year old, it was like, phenomenal. Um, and so we, we take this stuff, but anyway, what they were saying was the American, typical American government, the American government were starting to burn fields of um, the cacao um, to stop, or were trying to control the cacao fields for cocaine. Whereas obviously for these guys, they're not looking to extract cocaine from it. It's how they survive in the mountains. Yeah. And there was, there was a real danger that they'll literally kill off um, these tribes living the higher up because they need access to this. So and it was a whole thing going on there. So we stayed about uh, a week in Cusco and we got introduced to this priest. And this priest was taking us around these ancient caves and doing all sorts of ceremonies. And the idea was that we'd go up through Dead Women's Pass, um, which would take about another week, up down the other side into Machu Picchu. And then we're going to come back and do some shamanic ceremonies with ayahuasca, etc. So the whole trip, if I remember, was about six weeks, something like that. I can't Amazing. remember exactly. So we're in Cusco with this priest and he takes us into these caves to do these ceremonies. And we're doing these meditation and ceremonies in these caves. And at one point, you can hear these noises and you can feel just a definite change in the atmosphere. And he's like, oh... I think it's probably time for us to, to move out. So we go outside the caves and about 100, 200 yards away, there's these, and about six of us saw this. I mean, and at this point, by the way, we haven't done ayahuasca or anything, we haven't taken any homogenics <laughs> or that. There's these massively tall, which from a distance, I've got to say, look about 12, 15 feet tall beings of sort of light, but you could see there, yeah. see there was a figure, but like bright. Wow. Eight of them, and we were like, what, what is that? And then this priest was like, it's the ancients, they're just keeping an eye on us, they're just making sure we're not like desecrating the caves. It's like, don't worry about it, just, you know, sort of stay together. Kind of yeah. Like, 
what is this? And what's weird is the whole group of us who went there, everyone ended up at some level having some form of success. So I opened all these yoga studios and did various things for business that was successful. There was actors there. There's a guy called Davey Heyman who's appeared in all sorts of movies. Um, That's incredible. They were there to guide you and, and the car. Yeah, there was a guy called Davey Hamilton who now writes for Hay House. And he was just a young guy when he was there, but he's written all these books. He used to be a scientist, and then he got into the, the metaphysical side. You'll find him on Hay House, Dr. David Hamilton. Um, all these different people ended up going and doing things. It wasn't a huge group. There was about eight of us, I think. Um, so anyway, all these things were happening, and then we went and we did the walk um, to Machu Picchu. Now, when you're at that altitude, like I remember coming around a bend, and even although we stayed for a week, some of the group got altitude sickness and some actually had to go back down. Oh, nice. And we got up and you've got this final ramp up to Dead Women's Pass and it's probably only 500 uh, yards or something and it takes about a day. So at that level, like no. one step is like plodding through treacle. It's incredible. You think, oh it's, oh, it's just there and it takes you, not a day, but it takes you another Yeah, day. yeah, yeah. up there. Um, but I remember we camped at the top and one of the lasting memories is you're lying on your back and the sky's black, it's not blue. Black. All these shooting stars and it literally feels like you could reach up and grab them. You feel like you're that close. Yeah. Enough, I remember sharing a tent with that Dr. David Hamilton who's written. <laughs> and we were like, wow, this is like, this is like something out of another world. It really was. And... So we, we stayed up there for a night and then we came down, spent some time at Machu Picchu and we came back to Cusco. And then we did the, the ceremonies and we're doing two ayahuasca shamanic ceremonies. And again, they took us up to this ancient stone circle. And it was really weird because we got there with these three shaman. shaman. There was, one was the main one and he had these two little apprentices. Um, and he'd been in the jungle for five days mixing it up. So it's two different vines that get mixed. I don't know if you've done it or not. Oh, okay. And it, and it comes back. So... We're sitting around, it's like a probably about a meter high, like a mini Stonehenge thing. Yeah. And we've got our backs against it, we've got these blankets and we're there. Uh, and he's got a fire in the middle going on. And then before we start, the local police come and it's essentially bribe time. Like, you shouldn't be up here, you're not allowed up here. What <laughs> you guys? And they're like, look, everyone has to give them $10 each. It was just some bizarre thing. So, yeah. He thinks it's a spiritual thing. And it's like, <laughs> maybe we've got to bribe the police. Oh, okay, all right, okay. So we have to bribe the police. Anyway, it comes around and two things were interesting because in those uh, days, at that point, I'd never done any drugs. Drink was my thing when I was younger, but not drugs for some reason. Um, and I'd briefly smoked to try and look cool when I was young, but thankfully it lasted about three weeks and then never smoked. <laughs> So what we did is they made you smoke tobacco. So tobacco is a medicine for them. But it's like a cigar. It keeps going out because there's no chemicals in it to keep it alive. Yeah. So tobacco leaves. You have to keep lighting it. And they see that opened up your airways and your, your system so that the medicine goes in. Um, so you do that. And then they give you this, uh, the medicine. It's like brown sludge. Uh, I don't know if you, have you had diagnosis? No, have you? No. It's like brown, quite thick sludge. It's enough you can swallow it. It's, so it's... it's kind of liquid but it's quite yeah different. and you take it and they ask you first do you want to take it because once you're on the bus you can't go off once you take it that's it <laughs> you know there's no getting <laughs> uh, so we all take it and uh it was really interesting some of the people like i remember that the actor davy Heyman, who grew up in glasgow and he said you know over the years he put all sorts of things in his body 
Uh, and he claimed the next day that was awful. I've had a better hit in Glasgow, you know. Um, other people were just travelling off to dimensions. The guy who wrote the book, Stevie Hamilton, he reckoned he saw all these scriptures in the sky. Oh, wow. He came back and he was writing oh, stuff down. Wow. I think he wrote books. It was interesting. Uh, one woman claimed that uh, UFOs were taking her away. And what was happening was they were tripping and they'd come back and you were sending uh, yeah. So this woman who'd never done anything, <clears throat> she was next to me and David Hamilton. And uh, she'd be like chatting away, da 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 And you're slightly tripping, but she's probably not aware she's slightly tripping. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my God, oh my God, stop, it's here. There's, a, there's an alien calf It's going to take me. Poof. And she'd you know, uh, And then she'd come back. And then, um, so all this stuff happened. And then we got back and a couple of people were like, that, that was awful, nothing much happened. And the shaman really took offense. He's like, I'm gonna go back in the jungle, make a stronger thing. Oh, wow. One guy was, some people take it, they throw up and everything, like, like they purge. Yeah. One guy, um, a guy called Michael from Ireland, he, I think he was quite strongly Catholic. He had a really bad trip. He was like, the devil, Satan's coming to get me. No. This really nice, quite gentle, but, engaging character to hit yeah. after it left, <laughs> he was through into himself uh and he was in quite a bad way after it he yeah oh, no. uh, um, and they were trying to sort of counsel him a bit and stuff like that anyway this uh this uh shaman went back in the jungle he said oh we've only got like, a few more days here he went back and he came back with this massive two liter coke bottle and, <laughs> and we took it and then because I, I think and certainly at that time it wasn't it, it was a, it was a great area whether it was illegal yeah i think it was probably illegal to import it back here but yeah. i'm not sure it was illegal to export it but we got to the airport with this massive coke bottle now in fairness it sort of looked a bit like coke at a first glance because it was it was kind of brownish, darkish. Yeah, yeah. No way you'd get away with it. But at a glance, you possibly would have. Uh, we're at the airport and we're like, like who's taking it through? And, like, and nobody wanted to take it through because <laughs> like, we may airport, they don't mess about guys with machine guns and that. Yeah. And I'm sure if you went to prison in Lima, that'd be the end of it. I, you know, it sounds like one of these. Lima was pretty horrific, actually. It was a very dark energy and very... Really? Quite a dark, seedy mm. place. It wasn't a nice place, Lima, at all for... Um, so we got to the airport and, and then we put it in one of the bins or just like nobody wanted to take it through <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then I never touched it because they say it's medicine once it's in your system it's in for life and okay. it was 25 years it was two two years ago before I did it again and we oh. and that was a much more interesting and I'll come back to that story so I don't spend too long on this but the second and third time round so I did it twice a couple of years ago uh, and it was much, much deeper experience. And I'll actually, will come back around to it because I actually got a lot more out the second time in terms of understanding of things. Yeah, often. I suppose you'd already been through it, so you knew yeah. what to expect. Yeah, so um, it's super interesting. And the second time I also did the, the Campbell, which is the frog poison that you put in your arm and, and you purge and then you feel amazing. Your immune system's like... Yeah. So I'll come back onto that story, but yeah, that was an interesting, but it's certainly when I came back, there was something different. Now, again, was that the placebo effect? Was it something psychologically I was expecting a difference in the was, but there was certainly a heightened state of awareness for sure. Um, and that certainly drove me to take actions to, to move fully out of corporate world where 
at that point, I really was quite successful. By the time I left, I was in charge of 70 people, six-figure salary. They wanted me to go and do a project in India, which I, I think I told you about earlier. Yeah. Um, and at the time, uh, what happened was I was running the yoga shop and I was teaching. And I didn't have the studio at that point, no. But I, um, the yoga shop went very quickly from nothing to seven figures within about 14, 15 months. That's amazing. Partly hard work, partly good luck, partly timing. Um, this is pre-Amazon days. Amazon did exist, but it was books. It wasn't yoga mats. Yeah. Partly knowing, because I'd been in India, how to get the stuff and the right terminology and stuff to use. But um, it reached a stage where, although I was running projects and managing people, the time my business and partner, uh, Navajoti, she was calling me like every two minutes going, this has happened in the business. This has happened to an order. What do I do? And I thought, yeah, people are starting to notice this. I mean, I was really good at my job in corporate world, but it was getting noticed that uh, what's going on. So I remember deciding, okay, um, handed my notice in. They were totally shocked. They weren't expecting it. And at that time, the, the, uh, it was a company called Standard Life. It was quite corporate, but it was an international division. So we're trying to get Standard Life in uh, Germany, France. Yeah. Spain. India was the main places and they used to call us the rock stars because we were flying about the place and you could wear whatever you didn't have to wear suits you had expense accounts it was it was quite cool actually it was quite good yeah um and they'd obviously trained me up over the years and they're like okay what if we give you a career break for five years all you got to do is come in once a year and just understand what's going on and I, I remember taking it I take it and they gave me the forms and they're in my drawer for weeks and what happened, it's funny when you do something like that, the people you think are your close friends and the people you've never given the time a day of, uh, it, it, it flips up. So yeah. people the thought were certainly very close colleagues, if, if not friends, um, weren't overly happy that you were getting out. And I remember mm-hmm. one guy saying to me, you'll be back within a couple of months. And somebody I would have called a friend who I'd certainly worked closely with. And I remember other people who, to my detriment, I hadn't really given that much time to, being super happy coming up going, wow. this is amazing. What an amazing journey. This is great. You've got out of here. This is good. And yeah. I was like, wow, my God. You That's know, I, amazing. I'd never looked or given any time to these people. And it was a real humbling experience. But the guy who said, you'll be back within a few months, he did me a favor because I thought, Right, you know what? Yeah. If this fails, I will never come back here. I will burn my bridges. I am not going back. Yeah. Whatever happens. And I did. And I went up to him and said, Look, thank I appreciate the offer. Uh, I'm not going to sign it. Um, yeah. And I, I, because I've always been like a pretty much a workaholic, I, I had so many holidays. I could have handed my notice in and walked out that day. Like I never took holidays. I had weeks and yeah, weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And flexi days and goodness knows what. Um, and they were like, Oh, okay, can you just wait till we get somebody to replace you? We weren't expecting it. And I was like, okay. And it basically, long story short, it went on in like five months down the line. Wow. I walked in on a Monday and said, I'm walking out here on Friday. And they still didn't have it sorted because I think- Yeah, well, that's a long time. (laughs) I was like, look, it's not my problem. I've I've been more than fair. I promise you I'm walking out here on Friday not coming back. And even up to the last day, they're like, could you just come back on Monday? I was like, nah. No. And I did. I literally had to walk out and say, I'm not coming back. And I didn't. They phoned me on the Monday. said, you're coming out? I said, no, I told you. I'm not coming back. And I didn't. Um, and it's so funny because it, it's, it now it just seems like 10 lifetimes ago. It yeah. really does feel like a different me. A so different much has changed for you. Yeah. And that was the start from there. 
um, it got into um, the studios. And what happened was, I remember I told you in the previous discussion, which you may or may not include in, in the, the final cut, but my business partner in Yoga Lions, Brian Cooper, um, when I was working corporate, uh, he was teaching at a studio, a Stranger studio that opened up right opposite me. Um, and then they, they moved, it grew. Um, so they, they sold that studio, made some good money and opened one up in the centre of Edinburgh in a place called The Meadows, which is beautiful. Uh, they renovated this old kind of church place and it was an amazing yeah. centre. Um, and I used to go there as a student and Brian was uh, probably my main teacher. And what happened was, as always, it doesn't matter if it's yoga or anything else, there was a massive fallout, the usual thing, even to this day, yoga world, you see it all the time, huge fallout about stuff. It wasn't Brian's centre, so he had to leave. And so long story short, he, he felt disillusioned by studios and studio owners. So I opened up a studio and he helped me um, uh, run it. But what happened was I had a big warehouse for the yoga shop as I built a small studio within the warehouse initially and loads of people came and what happened was the yoga shop was working with a company in America called Sounds True and I actually weirdly 30 years later or something I still have the connection with a guy who was head of sales international uh, a guy called Anthony D'Alessandro and he's still there wow didn't uh, shamanism particularly really cool nice guy and I just reached out recently and caught up with him Anyway, we had a great sort of relationship and I actually went over and met him and Sounds True. And at one point he reached out and said, you've got a studio, we've got this woman who um, has started doing audio. Sounds True were in the beginning mostly audios. So it was inspirational audio tapes. Um, a woman called Tammy Simon started and still there. And then eventually that moved into videos and it's all things like uh, uh, Thich Nahan, Eckhart Tolle, uh, Pema Children, all people like that. They've got an amazing, amazing collection of authors in there and sort of spiritual. That's really good. And um, he said, we've got this woman, she's just started doing some yoga stuff for us. She works at Yoga Works. Her name is Shivaria. Um, and she's desperate to come to Europe and the UK. And you've got a studio yeah. guys up. So, uh, okay. So what happened was I spoke to her and she was big into, she had some uh, Celtic connection. Yeah. And she's like, I'd love to come to Scotland. I just can't make the dates work this year, but let's talk about next year. And two or three things happened at the same time where um, business partner uh, Navajoti, she had a best friend who was distributing David Svensson's products in the UK. And she was lovely, but she was all over the place. She wasn't a business person. She was all over the place. Yeah. It was like, oh, God, you know. Um, and long story short, we ended up distributing David's products for him. Um, and asked David about coming, and he said, I'm absolutely definitely will come and support you in Scotland, but I can't come this year. Here's my friend David Williams, who was the first Westerner to go to Batabi Joyce for Stanga Yoga. Oh, wow. Um, sorry, he wasn't the first Westerner, he was first American. Yeah, um, wow. Um, and I'll put you in touch with him. Got in touch with him, love to come, not now. And then there was John Scott, who was big in the Stanga world. He was in the UK, from New Zealand, but it was in the UK. Reached out to John Scott, loved to come, not now. So I just thought it's not meant to be left there. And within a month, all four came back. Wow. Oh, it's the Equinox. I, I, I want to come over and be in, in the UK in the Equinox. I'm going to go to Stonehenge. I'll come up to you guys. I've squeezed the date in. Okay. That's incredible. Uh, David Williams, somebody's dropped out. I've got a space where they come. David Svensson. 
oh, actually, same thing. Somebody's dropped out. I've got a space. I'm going to be in Europe. I could come over for a weekend. Wow, it's meant to be. I could come. I was like, oh, God, I'll be like one of these people. Now we've got four. <laughs> we had run events at that point, not proper events, internationally. And the studio I had was fine, but it was tiny. So I was like, right, okay, let's first put it up and see if there's interest. Boom, we put Shivaria, David Williams, yeah. sold out in 10 days. Like, wow. 80 odd people on each. The studio I had couldn't take that. I'm like, that's okay, we'll find, we'll find a venue. What I hadn't thought about was, because we hadn't run events at that point, was August. Now, August in Edinburgh, <laughs> Edinburgh Festival. Yeah. Backed out, like, everywhere we went. Come back September, you can rent the space. Oh, August, no chance. We couldn't find any venue, period. We've sold all these tickets. It's a sellout. Oh, no. And then even if you somehow found a venue, there was going to be no place for people to stay. And even yeah. if you did, what they do in Edinburgh is they quadruple the prices for the Edinburgh Festival. So like B&Bs and stuff, instead of whatever, 30 quid a night, it's like 100 quid a night just for the festival. So we're like, oh, God, what do they do? What? And then I remember... In those days, most people, both in the little studio we had in the yoga shop, a lot of people paid cash. And they're like leaving cash lying about. Um, so I'd do the bank run every day or two, take the cash up to the bank. And I remember a couple of times, this comes back to getting that intuition, kept yeah. getting a voice in my head, for lack of better words, like I'm not actually hearing a voice, but I sort of am in my head, telling yeah. me to drive back down a different route. And I thought, that's weird. Why, why am I getting the feeling I've got to drive down? And I ignored it. For about three or four times, I ignored it. And then one of the times I thought, okay, I've got a bit of extra time. I'm just going to drive down the street. I don't know why. I get a feeling I've got to drive down the street. So I drive down the street. Now, you'd have to see this for this to make sense. So the studio ended up uh, running Union Yoga. It was big space over two floors, but it was slightly back from the main road. In other words, it was sitting maybe 20 yards back, which means either side, unless you're right in front of it, you wouldn't see it. Yeah, okay. If you were 50 yards up the street, you couldn't see it. If you're 50 yards down the street, you couldn't see it. And 100 yards down from where the entrance was, um, it was traffic lights. So I'm driving down the street, nothing, 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 and I get stopped at traffic lights, and I get stopped right outside this building. Now, <laughs> 20 yards back or 20 yards forward, I've seen it. Yeah. I was sitting, and, uh, and so it had a big glass, massive glass window reception area. And I'm sitting at the lights, and I'm looking, I'm thinking... God, that would make a brilliant reception area. I wonder what's above it. And there was no to let sign. There was no nothing, but it clearly oh, right. looked empty. Yeah. And I thought, that's weird. I wonder. And the voice like, drive in. So it's a big car park. So I thought, okay, drive in. And then that, so there's like a basement ground floor, first floor. The reception I was looking at was on the ground floor, and it looked like it was a big space above it, but I couldn't see it. So I drive in on the ground floor, big shutters up, and there's a printers, printing press. So I stopped going, a couple of young guys, hey guys, do you know who owns a bar? And they're like, yeah, it's the printers who own this. They're down in the basement. Go and see them. It's empty. They might, whatever. Right. So I go up, uh, go down, get the guys, go up and see it. It's amazing. At that point, it's carpeted, but it's all natural light. It's about two and a half thousand nice. square All lots of windows, lots of light, lots of sun coming. It's like, oh, this would be amazing. Um, but it's carpeted. Uh, and then they've got a back bit, and they said, yeah, we are going to put this up, but we want somebody to take both bits down below and above. And down below was about 2,000 square feet, not as nice because it was on ground floor. So anyway, look at it, and I said, listen, would you consider, I think it'll work, but would you consider letting us try an event there? Would you rent it out to us for, we've got these two events? Yeah. 
And they said, yeah, they said, okay, but you have to deep clean it. You have to clean the carpets and that. So we said, right, okay. So we did that. Um, we ran the events. And even with this sort of crappy carpet, they're massive success. So here's a lesson in business. I always, because I was sort of fresh out of corporate world, I just kept pushing and pushing to get the price down because it yeah. was a charity. It was a genuine charity. We set it up. And at one, I got I got the guy to agree to only taking the top bit, not the bottom bit. And there was two brothers. And one guy was really cool. The other one was like super hardcore business. And I was dealing with this sort of cool guy. Uh, and he said, well, okay, we'll give you a top bit. And I got him down. And I just pushed him one step too far. And I think ah. he must have jumped in. And he said, no. Nah. And he went all the way back up to the full price and said, ah. No, we want this, and you've got to take both. I said, like, ah, damn. Oh, that's really annoying. I backtracked, but they were having none. I just pushed them too far. And then, um, so I thought, no, nah, it feels right. I'm going to take both. And everyone's like, don't do it. It's too much. It's too big. It's too big. And I thought, I'll move the yoga shop into the, the other yeah. bit. Anyway, took a, put a bamboo hardwood floor down. Even that, I tracked this company down. Those days, now you can get bamboo hardwood anywhere in the UK. Yeah. So. Mostly she couldn't, and it was this place in Holland. And I got them on board of what we were doing with the studio. And at that time, there was hardly any studios in the UK. There was, Tri Yoga was there. Can't even remember if the Life Centre was there in London. Maybe not. Um, mm-hmm. But virtually no studios. Certainly none doing big events. Tri Yoga was doing big events. And we were the yeah. second one. So what happened long term was teachers would come over and go to Tri Yoga in England and come to us in Scotland. And it worked really well for a long time. And then Life Centre came in and a few others. Um, and got the hardwood floor down. It was a, a stunning space. And long story short, it really, really worked. And we just put all this energy into it. And it, it was incredible. Again, very, very quickly. It was successful. Yeah. There was nothing new. I think there was a, the Yenga Center that had been around for years, um, but they were quite closed shop. And we came in my Stanga, and the Stanga was quite accessible to people, especially younger crowds. Yeah. They loved, it. They loved the, the set sequence. They loved the almost gym-like workout, which yeah. felt like they were, they were getting a, a kind of workout. So it just really, really worked. And, and that was the start of like 20-odd years of... That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was, and then all these big teachers came. And I mean, it was... And then we diversified. Damamitra, uh, Anna Forrest, Donna Holloman, Donna Farid. It wasn't just a yeah. start. A whole bunch of people came. And it became a real hub. Yeah. Uh, Center of Edinburgh. But what's interesting, all those big name teachers I had over, um, most of them didn't run a studio, and those who tried it tried it for a while and stopped it because it's literally 24-7. I remember in the early yeah. years, we were open 365 days in the year, including Christmas Day, New Year's Day. We just never shut. But it yeah. takes its toll on your own practice yeah. and everything else. It's it's and if you look at it, it's certainly not, I mean, it was a charity bit. It's not, if you look at how much you're getting for the hours you put in, yeah, it's less yeah. than wage. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, and if you've got, I was okay because I had other income streams like the shop and, and Yoga Alliance and various things that helped, but it wouldn't have worked if it was just on its own because yeah. it, it's just too much, you know. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's, and strangely, it's like so many things, you don't know what you've got till you've gone. So when I sold it and retired yeah. from it, um, so many people came up and said how it changed their life. I never said anything up to that point because sometimes you just feel like, God, I'm working all these hours. Does it yeah, mean- yeah. And people were like, it was just this sacred space where I could switch off from the world, switch off from my problems. It wasn't even necessarily about the yoga. It was just the space. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and at the time, um, uh, my partner, Victoria, who we're, we're still good friends, we were together for a long time. She pretty much ran the studio a lot and she lived in ashrams for years. So she ran it like an ashram, but yeah. it's super clean. The energy was super positive. She used to play chants in it and everything, you know, and it was an amazing energy. People felt that when they walked in. Uh, so much more than particularly the teachings. That was what I think was yeah. behind that, you know? Yeah, yeah. So then what made you shift over to Yoga Alliance? Um, yoga Alliance, well, we, so we were in that space. I was talking about the Union Yoga. And we had uh, Union Yoga and the yoga shop. And as part of Union Yoga, Brian... Brian was happy to be involved in helping run the studio, but he didn't want to be involved in a commercial basis because he's had his fingers burnt before and just didn't want that hassle. So he came in and predominantly worked on the teacher training program, which he'd already been doing. In fact, he had one of the first teacher training programs in the UK and had also really come up with this concept of beginner's courses because up till then, with the, the Yenga studios and the kind of Hatha yoga studios, and a lot of it was, um, I guess without sounding offensive, middle-aged housewives and leotards and church halls. That was up to Ashtanga coming in. That was the kind of thing. And I went to many of those classes and enjoyed them. But that's what it was. Um, and then when he was involved in the earlier centre, he came up with this concept of beginner's courses. Eight-week beginner's courses is a structure. We'll take you from here to here. Uh, and he came up with weekend workshops and, and the teacher training programme over the course of a year. So... His job was running the teacher training program and I was working on the day-to-day -day studio and bringing in international teachers for events. And the combination of Brian doing the teacher training and the international events, the overall feeling from yoga teachers was that the, the quality of uh, practitioners was dropping. Quite yeah. a bit. And people applying to do the teacher training course, the level was way down. So even back in my day, what would happen was you practice usually with the same teacher for maybe six, seven, eight years. Yeah. And then the teacher would go to you, hey, Gemma, I think you make a great yoga teacher. Or what happened in my case is one of my teachers asked me to cover one of their classes. I'm like, I, what am I going to do? And they're like, yeah. practicing, doing this for eight years, you can do it. And luckily it was a gym. There's a whole story about that. Um, I went into this gym. Now, Ashtanga is a set sequence. And if you do the whole seat primary season, it's an hour and a half. Um, and... So laterally, when I was teaching beginners courses, in the first week, we'd do a little bit of breathing, we'd sit, we'd break down the first sun citation, and that was it. So I went into this first class, having never properly trained, and gave them about two-thirds of the Vishtanga sequence, thinking I hadn't given them enough, absolutely killing them. Thankfully, <laughs> it was a gym. So gym, it was a lot of, like, young, kind of, like, full of energy, yeah. honed-up individuals who weirdly loved it and came back next week but in hindsight it was ridiculous you know <laughs> and I actually walked out thinking oh god I've not given them enough will they come back it's like and I've <laughs> absolutely slaughtered them you know um, so it was quite funny going back but um yeah what happened was when we're running these courses we felt yeah people now are doing it for a different reason instead of being yeah. by your teacher organically you should think about this people are making decisions after a few months, like, oh, I want to be a yoga teacher, especially with introduction of things like yoga journal and stuff. And they see all yeah. these yogis on the cover of the magazine doing these fancy postures. This looks like a great lifestyle. I can just travel the world and teach yoga. Now, of course, you know, no. <laughs> 0.0001% of people are at that level where they can afford to do that. And it's yeah. not reality. But nevertheless, we thought, okay, let's, uh, let's 
do see how we can address this. And it was Brian who came up with it. He got in touch with the American Yoga Alliance um, and asked about, look, we can see what you've done in the US. We want to do something similar here. Can we partner up? And he said, we don't want uh, to have a, like a formal partnership, but yeah. we're very happy to walk you through what we did and what the process was, and we're happy to help you. And we actually had um, uh, the guy at the time, they've got a sort of committee and they have like a, a head of the committee, I don't know what you call it, but each year or every couple of years they get voted in as the kind of the head. Oh yeah, okay. Um, he, he had Scottish relatives. Stephen was his first name, I can't remember his surname, but he had relatives in Scotland. And, and he dealt with Brian quite a bit. And then he said, look, I'm going to come over in the next six months and visit some relatives. So why don't I come in and work with you guys? Great. So he gave us the structure and what they'd done. Um, and we set ourselves up as Yoga Lines UK and we had it set up and we, we had everything in place and we got insurance and all sorts of things. Anyway, about six months later, this guy dropped off the radar and on the website, he was no longer on the committee. Oh. And then we got a phone call from somebody. It was a really weird phone call. This guy going, essentially, you shouldn't be using the name Yoga Lines UK. We're Yoga Lines. So, right. and he said, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Came on, say I'm a lawyer. That's what he did. Came on, said I'm a lawyer from this firm. We're phoning on behalf of Yoga uh, Lines America. Okay, we're wondering why you're using the name. So, because we had all the emails and stuff, so we said like, well, yeah, this is information. This guy, Stephen, whatever his name was, da da da. Uh, this is why. And the only question he asked was, "Are you trademarked?" And we were. Uh, and we said yes. I'm going to send you. Yeah, can you send us stuff? And we did. We sent the stuff. Right. And we never heard again from him ever. But what happened on that call? I said, "Can I just clarify?" Are you officially contacting us from this law firm or are you somebody who's a member of? Oh, yeah. And he was really hedging about it. Yeah. And he basically came down to, no, he wasn't contacting us on an official basis. He was actually a lawyer with this firm, but he wasn't officially contacting to the firm. He was a member of, of Yoga Land. It was all about, uh, okay. Uh, anyway, that was it. We never heard any more. And then suddenly, I think we must have sent something out to the members going, we've stolen the name. And we're like, no, we haven't. No, oh, I, 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 anyway, um, and we eventually changed the name to Yoga Alliance Professionals, the whole thing. But the key thing for us is we never believed in their standards. So they had this thing in the early days called, um, what was it called now? RYT 200 and RYT 500. Registered yeah. 200 and 500. Now, what the public interpretation of that was was new teacher, intermediate teacher. And then they had, I think, ERYT experience. I can't remember what it was. It was something that- Yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. So very quickly, we, we thought that doesn't make sense, that that implies, because I've done a few more hours training, yeah. that I'm a more experienced, better teacher. And of course, as we know with anything in life, there's um, theoretical, an experiential experience kind yeah. of thing and until you've actually taught live that's where you get the real experience yeah yeah so we changed our thing and said no we've got um uh yoga teacher experience yoga teacher and senior yoga teacher and to get up to the next level you have to have done so many years and so many hours so yeah. to get to even the experience level you need four years and two thousand hours and to be a senior teacher and be able to run teacher training you need a minimum of eight years and four thousand hours now yeah. This day, the Americans still allow people with two years' experience to become a trainer. Really? Uh, as wow. you know, number of people, are members of the American Yoga Alliance, who don't know that. Blimey. Trainer, trainers who don't know that. 
And so when we talk to them, they're like, go, and they're like, no, no, it's not. And look on their website, it is. They've recently talked about changing it, but they're not changing it to 2023. And even then, mm-hmm. it's, it's only half what we were saying. And we've stuck to that forever. And it's this idea of what's the rush? I mean, why? Yeah, yeah, you, you need experience. You want a surgeon operating on you who's two years ahead of you? Yeah. Do you want a lawyer representing you in a murder trial who's qualified? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's madness. Anyway, the whole thing now has changed. What we've done is, and we don't see ourselves at any level as a governing body. Um, we, we see a professional body, and there's, there's three main things. We see that a lot of yoga teachers struggle with the business aspect because a lot of people yeah. are, they, they, it's a passion thing. You do it yeah. because, and you don't have much of a business head, but you want to make this your full-time, yeah. or you want to make a living out of it. And there's this big fear, uh, peer pressure thing around money that yoga teachers should make money. And it's strange because any other industry, even if you were a, a fitness professional or a massage therapist, people have no problem yeah. money. But yeah. yoga teachers, this thing of, oh my God, I shouldn't earn money. I'm a yoga teacher. And of course, you've spent all this time and money qualifying yeah. to continue developing and growing and educating yourself and you need to feed your family, pay your mortgage. So it's such a bizarre world. Yeah, it is. Uh, and, uh, um, people will easily pay 10, 12, 15 pounds for a fitness class, but yeah, yeah you know, it's kind of strange. Anyway, so the purpose of you guys professionals is to be there as a sport group, most definitely have a career path, which yeah. guides you. So there's this concept of the two major human needs there's six main human needs that we all have, regardless of gender, where you live, how old you are. And most of them are kind of around survival, uh, like certainty. Most of us want to have certainty. So you don't have the fear thing. I know what's going to happen. But if you have too much certainty, you want variety. Then you're bored. Then you're like, oh, well, I want a bit of variety here. Um, you want um, uh, recognition at some level. Most people want recognized. Weirdly, most people are in... Uh, their career, it's not about money. Yes, money is, to a certain extent, uh, gives you freedom. uh, It's an enabler, but people want recognition for doing a good job, and people want connection slash love. That's the four main ones. Then there's two bigger ones, which is what makes you feel good about yourself is growth. When you get a sense that you're growing as an individual, then it's a good feeling. And then the top one, which I guess is the spiritual one in a sense, is serving something bigger than yourself. Like yoga, so it's helping others. uh, Serving something bigger is is there. So this career path looks at those top two of growth and development. Like if you want to keep serving others, you have to keep growing as an individual. Yes. You can't just qualify and then you could for a bit and then quickly your students will outgrow you sort of thing. So yeah you continue to grow and develop. So there's these two elements continue throughout the career path of serving, which is giving back, um, and growth and development. And what happens as you move up the career path is the ratio should switch. So in the beginning, your serving might be basic yoga classes and you're still doing a lot of growth and development yourself. You're going to workshops, you're doing further training, all that sort of stuff. Um, you might have a mentor. And as you go up, there's a certain point in the middle level of experience yoga teacher, you're both giving back. So at an experience level for us, you you can mentor younger yoga teachers or less experienced yoga teachers. um, uh, And you can also have a mentor. So you're kind of in the middle. And then as you become a senior yoga teacher, a lot of it is you giving back to the community, giving back to the, the world 
and a little bit of growth and development. That's still continuing. Yeah. So there's this lovely model of, of giving and receiving that continues. And we sit in the middle of trying to connect people, enable people. Here's members who want a coach, who want further development. Yeah. Here's who offer that, and we're connecting you guys. So creating this community that's there to support you, that's the second thing we found that a lot of people don't want to feel they're on their own. So yes. Supportive community that, hey, you're not on your own. There's other people, and we can also help you and guide you. Um, and, and that's uh, along with these standards. And the standards aren't there to be policed or enforced. We're not yeah. in body. Um, no interest in that. It's like, as you grow, you'll naturally want to serve your members, your students at higher yeah. level. You, yeah. You want, uh, like, one of the things we just brought in is... Um, getting trainers to commit to support students in the first year so i know from business that most businesses go out of business in the first year um uh, and also i know we phone every single person who graduates from a, a training course whether they join us or not so if your training course is with us um we uh, get your permission and your students permission to contact them and we ask two questions do you feel ready to teach and would you recommend this trainer yeah uh, most people recommend the trainer but don't feel ready to teach and weirdly, the trainers believe they are ready to teach. And so what we've got commitment for moving forward is um, the basic foundation course, support them in the first year, even if it's doing a, a group Zoom call once yeah. a quarter, just to go, how are you getting on? Because you know yourself, I mean, I've taught for 25 years, the, the training world experience of teaching where everyone's more or less at the same level, they're reasonably fit, they're reasonably flexible. And then you go into a world where people have got illness, disability. Yeah. It's a whole different ballgame. And most yeah. people suddenly go, oh, my God, I can't teach at all. Yeah. So that trainer there just to support them, perhaps offering some further training development workshops in that first year. Yeah. Uh, and also having a, a bit more of a stronger pre-course and lead up where you get people into the right emotional, mental and physical state before they do the course. Yeah. So that sort of thing, that, that's the essence of, of what we're trying to do. Yeah, that's really good because I found I've been, I've been practicing for 15 years, but teaching for eight years. And from, from where I am now to when I first started, you think, oh my gosh, it's so different. I teach so differently now because I believe in myself that I believe that I can help people. Whereas, yeah, I was just doing it. And, and actually when I came out of my teacher training and a few other people have said this, that everybody just teaches how their teacher is taught because they haven't found the way they, they need to teach yet. <laughs> so you get like 10 other people with the same teacher. <laughs> and the problem with that, and the reason that makes so much sense, and I, I was the same, I did the same thing. And the reason why people then stop or, or in their eyes fail, for me, there's never failure. But the reason that happens is because when you're teaching somebody else's, there's a point that somebody's going to ask you a question and because you don't understand it deep enough, yeah. You're going to be stuck and you're going to go, well, it's, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so that makes a lot of sense. And, and and even from the trainers, it makes sense that you form a lifetime bond or certainly yeah. at least a supportive bond during the early parts until they find themselves. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, instead yeah. of thinking, my job is to give you a bit of paper at the end of this. It's, such, it's so short-sighted. It's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people want to go into yoga teaching. Obviously, we've seen so many people now want to do it because it's their passion, but also, yeah, they want to do it. But then they get stuck or, yeah, they can't. So it's nice to have something like you to... to it, it's also balancing. Like, here's the thing. It, 
if you feel that passionate about teaching yoga to others, you have a duty. If you've learned that, you have a duty to serve others. Now, um, you can't serve anyone if you have to give up teaching and get a nine-to-five job because you're not charging enough to be able to pay your bills or support your family or continue to develop and grow. That doesn't help anyone. So when people go like, oh, I don't want to charge it. Well, that sounds a noble thing to do, but back in the days, yogis could do that because people would bring them food, people would bring them blankets, people would give them a house to stay in. It's, you know, money's an enabler. You know, if if you're a good person and you're generous, you'll be more generous with money. If you're somebody who's tight and stingy, you'll be more stingy with money. Money doesn't change you, it just enables you, it gives you freedom. If, If you're job is to uh serve people at a higher level the more money you have the more people you can serve yeah Yeah. it's it's not the devil it's not evil and it's like it's so such a shame i've seen teachers with more experience than me i've seen teachers with 35 years experience giving up teaching 35 years down the line they can't pay their bills they're completely drained they're exhausted they're disillusioned with yoga world because they spent all that time charging three pound a class or something it's like this is nuts this is mad yeah yeah and is all your stuff online can you access it online or is it in edinburgh uh no it's all it's all online the yoga lines stuff i mean i i don't personally teach anymore i stopped when i turned 50 i got rid of i sold union yoga and the yoga shop to focus on yoga lions and so that's the main thing i do weirdly i was thinking i'm it's a trained and qualified as, a, as a, a life coach, but also business consultant. And I'm being more and more drawn to go into that because I see how yeah. much people struggle. And it's, it's very basic little things. It's not massive things that need to change. Yeah, yeah. That around. Um, like I'm a big fan of, of getting the right message in front of the right people. So yeah. as a teacher, you must have, a, I would hope you've got a, a reasonable size mailing list um, yeah. or, or ability to have access to that. It's like... Yeah segmenting your list into here's the people who are a certain level who want this here's people who don't want this who want that and so, and so taking a little bit more time to get the right message and work closer yeah. instead of working generically you know um it's much more effective both for the teacher and for the person who's getting the teaching yeah yeah wow that's really interesting oh thank yeah. you so much it's been amazing to have you on <laughs> you're welcome really amazing oh thank you but yes we definitely will catch up again soon and have you uh, on again this is part one of many so there's lots of <laughs> yes. in there, so you can think of questions i never came back now. the next time in my way to tell you the second journey on the oh yes yeah yeah thank you <laughs> so, yeah yeah you're very welcome anytime feel free to, to reach out I, i'd love uh, this sort of stuff i really enjoy yes it. where can we find you what's your website um, the yoga alliance professionals is yoga alliance professionals.org.org um there's also lots of kind of free resources on there there's lots of things uh that you can you don't have to join you can just go in and, and watch some of the stuff a lot of the content is from our members we encourage that particularly the more senior members to put up content that's that's useful and helpful uh, to people so um, and that content, a lot of it can be used by practitioners. A lot of it is helpful to both teachers and practitioners. So okay, you check out and, and see some of the, the free trainings and workshops and stuff. And uh, Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Perfect. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I look forward to seeing you soon. Yes. 
Oh, so as always, I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. So please leave a comment or tag me on social media using at Yogi Gemma. I'm always so grateful to hear your thoughts. And thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this episode. I will be back next week with another one, another fun episode for you guys to listen to. And also please leave a review on iTunes or like and subscribe to this podcast because it really means the world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I will see you very soon. Thank you.